And Andrew and I welcome you to a new episode of True Wisdom, where we discuss God's Word by reading, learning, and uh, understanding. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert. And as always, welcome guests. So, True Wisdom, we've mentioned time and time again why we seek after True Wisdom. But I got a question for you. Why do we seek after true wisdom in the Bible? Specifically, now we use the King James Bible, but why do we seek mm-hmm. wisdom in the Bible? Aren't there so many other books out there where we can get wisdom? Yeah, true. Um, but our verse tells us, our theme verse tells us why we search for it in the Bible. Right? It says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. That's kind of your sentence. You can get it from anywhere. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy is understanding. That's why the Bible is the source that we use. Because anybody else who has wisdom, is it's either secondhand or derived, right? If you meet some worldly wise person who has actual wisdom, they still got it from God. So it makes the most sense to go to the store. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So let's see. Why don't you go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll jump into the lesson. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your goodness, your love. We thank you for your word, and as we enter into it, give us wisdom and understanding that we rightly decide that these words of truth that you've handed to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we studying today? And what is the title? Uh, what is the title? <clears throat> you know, sometimes I, I get a title and um, and then I look at the verses that need to, to go with that title. And, um, and then other times it's like I have a thought about something, get into it, start studying it, put it together. And I'm like, oh wait, how, what are we going to call it? <laughs> Uh-huh. So, um, <clears throat> we're more in the latter camp today. So, uh, here's the thing. We've been talking for a long time about the sanctuary. But the title here is going to have something to do um, with the sanctuary. But, or it's part of the sanctuary theme. The sanctuary, and I, and I mentioned when you, when you spoke about, hey, we need to do something on the sanctuary. There's, it's really hard to do a something on the sanctuary. Right. You need to do some things on the sanctuary. If you look in the book of Exodus, pretty much from Exodus 25 to Exodus 40, it's all about the sanctuary. You know you're not doing one podcast to cover that. Right? Um, and when I was going down that path, I got slightly diverted. So here's what we'll say. Today, we're talking about the feast of the Lord. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll work out the title as we go through, because of course the title will make the most sense when we finish the podcast and understand what, what we hit. The question I have to ask, is this recently came up in a Bible discussion, um, and it has to do with the holistic nature of the scripture, right? So one of the key principles we're dealing with is that the Bible is a collection. So the Old Testament is very important to the understanding of the new. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. What is the easiest answer for the question, 
Why hasn't Christ come back yet? The easiest answer is that uh, not everyone has been exposed to the gospel. Okay, but he, he came 2,000 years ago. Like, in the first century A.D., the gospel went to almost the entire Roman Empire in less than one full generation with zero technology of those. Right. Well, I, God could have. I would say it didn't reach the other continents yet. Um, we still had Africa, parts of Africa. Well, and this is interestingly enough to say, we assume parts of Africa weren't reached. The Bible yeah. even talks about parts of Africa being reached. Um, but then there's Asia. Uh, we I know that Paul mm-hmm. reached Asia Minor. But then mm-hmm. the more eastern parts of Asia weren't yet reached. And there's okay. still islands. Uh, you still had the North Pacific. There's many areas, Japan. Um, there are many areas that were not reached with the good news. But we don't know that for a fact. We do not. We assume that. Correct. But just because the news didn't come out of those places, like think about how many mission stories we hear of some missionary group or team getting to some far-flung place, and when they get there, the people know about God. And you're like, but who was here? And something happened, and these people became aware. Think of the stories that we have with the Ethiopian eunuch mm-hmm. and how Cornelius comes into it. Mm-hmm. So, Even Abraham. From a, right. Look at, look at when we did the stories there um, of... Abimelech and all these people, and you're like, when did they get this knowledge of the gospel? Okay. So you wouldn't want to say that the official reason why Jesus hasn't come back is that everyone hasn't heard. Okay. Because you can't say that definitively. You cannot say that definitively. Right. You can't say that definitively. Okay. The next thing is, if Jesus really wants everyone to hear, he can do a lot of things, especially now we have technology and everyone feels like technology is such a critical part of the whole thing. I mean, he can make sure that everyone is going to hear. We know that certain events are going to take place, pathetically, and that everyone will have a chance to hear in the same way with Noah. Think about it. Noah didn't have to go everywhere to make sure everyone heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. Everyone came to Noah. Right? John the Baptist didn't have to go everywhere to make sure that all of those folks knew the gospel. They right. came to hear John the Baptist. Okay. The thing that tells us what, why Christ hasn't come back yet is an understanding of the Old Testament sanctuary. Mm, I see. When we, when we leave the sanctuary out, and we leave the sanctuary services out, we will never have a good answer to why Christ hasn't returned. Because otherwise, it seems many people in Christianity feel like everything that needed to be done, Christ did 2,000 years ago. So then you have to ask yourself, what is he waiting for? Okay. Okay. Let's go over. Today we're going to look at the feast of the Lord. Let's go over to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to the feast of the Lord. 
we may be able to do this in one pass. I'm not sure. All right. Starting 44 verses in, in total. It's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feasts. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, so, he says, God says to Moses, I'm about to tell you about my feast. We're going to see something very interesting with verses 3 and 4. There are many people who misinterpret them, so we're going to stop after you do 4 and explain 3 and 4. All right. Verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, an holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwelling. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season. Okay. Now, there are many people who say, Aha! The seventh-day Sabbath is a feast of the Lord because it came after the verse, verse 2, which says, Even these are my feast. But if you read 2 through 4, you'll see that 3 kind of throws the Sabbath in as some sort of a, a segue. And then 4 says, Okay, these are the feasts. And then it's going to outline from verses 5 onward the feast. The presence of number three, of verse three rather, the presence of the Sabbath in the midst of this is to identify several things. One, this is the Sabbath of the Lord. Okay, this is the Sabbath of the Lord, one. Two, it defines other feasts in this passage are going to be referred to as Sabbath. And so here is the standard of the Sabbath so that you can understand when another feast is like, is claim, you know, when, when another feast says, this shall be a Sabbath unto you, you have your reference for what the Sabbath looks like. Mm-hmm. So in any of the other feasts where we read, this shall be a Sabbath unto you, you need to behave like it was the weekly Sabbath. But it's not the weekly Sabbath, nor is the weekly Sabbath a feast. Um, what's interesting is, as I'm going through, because I'm using an online Bible mm-hmm. To as we do these podcasts. Um, sometimes I will check out how other Bible translations treat it. And just as you mm-hmm. said, many of the translations, they'll break it down into paragraphs, into sections, because as we know, when the Bible was written, when these books of the Bible were written, they were not written in chapter and verse. They were all letters or historical documents. And in no other place do mm-hmm. we do of verses in this type of manner. So right. we, we are counting on these verses when they're grouped together in a certain way that they all call together. But we have seen in the Bible where they will start a whole new chapter with a verse that really should have been in a previous chapter. Um, once right. again, initially, I do not believe initially they were trying to make any statement by this. They were just writing yeah. things out and separating them so they're easier for us to catalog. They basically catalog the bio, these books of the Bible for us. So as these right. now translators group things, verse 3 is separate. In many of the translations, verse 3 mm-hmm. is just kept separate. 
so that it's not mm-hmm. lumped in with the uh, with verses one and two or four through eight. Right. So many scholars, but basically what we're saying is most scholars recognize that three is not a feast of the Lord. It was a parenthetical that identifies the Sabbath so that when the term Sabbath is used later, the context for how to treat those other days within the feast is understood. Right. All right. Um, am I going to verse five? Four. Four, yes. These uh, are... These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. Pause a second. When you see at even, especially in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, at even means at evening, when the sun sets, as the sun sets, just after the sun has set. Mm-hmm. Context. You have to look at the context. And so it means the beginning of the day from God's perspective. Right, the evening and the morning the were the first. Evening and the morning, correct. So, verse 6, And on the fifteenth day of the same month, be the next day, is the feast mm-hmm. of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days he must eat unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. And that was to celebrate the Passover. Yes, all of that started there. I mean, officially, what we refer to as the Passover is really the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We lump them together mentally, and we talk about the Passover, but the Passover is a day, Mm -hmm. and then it's tied to seven days of Unleavened Bread. In the first day, and this would be of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, ye shall have an mm-hmm. holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. That's so interesting. Essentially a Sabbath. Right. I mm-hmm. had not seen the servile work. I did not recall that was it. Mm-hmm. Verse mm-hmm. 8. But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Mm-hmm. So the first day and the seventh day. So now think about this. Think about this. Fourteenth day of the month is Passover. And the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that first day is no work. And that seventh day is no work. Straightforward. Okay. Verse 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wait. Okay. Okay. On the morrow after what that? Let's see. That would be doesn't say is that the first or the seventh? Neither. But it's a lowercase Sabbath. It's a hmm. 
Uh, yeah, well, be advised that none of the Bible I've looked at this in, you know, this was part of the problem where many of the translators of the scriptures later said that in such an unwieldy way. Many of the folks who translated the Bible later did not put, um, did not capitalize the Sabbath. Mm. If you look through the Sabbath, I mean, think about it. Look at look at uh, verse three, twenty three, verse three. That's true. You Seventh day. You won't find it Sabbath. where it's sacrificed. No. And why is that? Because many people already came to the conclusion that that was Old Testament and done, and so they never looked at the Sabbath of the Lord as something perpetual with the same elevation that God gave it. Uh. So they write it lowercase, and they write all of the Sabbaths lowercase. You go through Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. I'll send you to all sorts of places in the Bible, and you find that the, that the Sabbath is written lowercase. So you can't rely on that one. Okay. But here's the deal. Verse 3 is here because it anchors this Sabbath. Remember, the Passover, if you're looking in your, in your Bible, they've grouped 4 through 8 together. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now 9 through 14 should be grouped together. Right. Okay, so let's explain this. The Passover happens on a dated, it's based on a date. For 14th day of the first month. Given that um, Jewish calendar months were 30 days, that 14th day could float in terms of what day of the week it started on. Or occurred on, I should say. Obviously going to be on the same day. So start and end on the same day. Right? Mm-hmm. So the 14th day could float. This year, it could be on Monday. Next year, it might be Tuesday. Such and such. The same way that your birthday and any holiday that you look at today that is tied to a date, that is going to float. Okay? Right. But what you're, when you're looking, so what happens there, this is really interesting, what happens is that the 14th day, whatever that day happens to be, the 14th day is Passover. And then the 15th day, which is the one that follows it, which is obviously going to float, that one is going to be um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the first, first day, day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right. and it's going to be a holy convocation. Okay. Then you're going to have whatever the weekly Sabbath is, the day after that, in that seven days of the of the 11th day, whatever the weekly Sabbath is, the day after that is the day of uh, of uh, first week. First, right. Okay? So here's, so here's the thing. In the year that Christ was crucified, Christ, our Passover, the Passover was the 14th, the 14th day of the month equates to our Friday. The following day, which was the first day of unleavened bread, was also the weekly Sabbath. And because it was both a weekly holy convocation and a feast holy convocation, it was considered a high 
holy days. So whenever a convoc a feast Sabbath coincided with the weekly Sabbath, it was an awesome Sabbath. It was mm. a hyper Sabbath. Okay. And then the first, the sheep, the first fruit was the day after. So the, you see how it tied together where the first fruit, Christ resu is resurrected and all of those folks that whose graves were opened during the crucifixion, they arose on the Sabbath. So that was the day of first fruit. So you see how that all tied together really neatly in the year that Christ, um, that Christ was crucified. That doesn't happen every week because obviously if the Passover happens to fall on a Tuesday and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts on a Wednesday, the feast, you'd still have to wait for the first fruit until the Sunday because you'd still have to wait for the weekly Sabbath and then the day after. Right. Okay. See, and we're up to verse. Oh, we're up to verse. You read seven. eleven. I read eleven already. Yes, you're right. I'm up to twelve. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two tenths deal of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hin. These are measurements. Mm -hmm. And ye shall neither eat bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling. Okay, so what he's saying here is that when um, that the fruit has to be offered to God first. So when your harvest is just about ripe and you pick that stuff from it, you have to offer God his first before you can consume the rest of it. Okay? Mm. That's why it's called first fruit. If you're getting second fruit, then it can't be called first fruit. Right. Okay. Now, it doesn't now, say... One of the points... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. One of the points, when um, we may have done it when we dealt with the sacrifices the last time, but when Christ died as the anti-typical sacrifice, his singular sacrifice, the, the one sacrifice that he made, covers every sacrifice that was needed for every feast. We tend to think of Christ only in terms of Passover, but Christ is the focal point of all of these feasts, every last one of them. So every feast sacrifice that you receive needed to happen, and Christ's one sacrifice, although we hype up the Passover part, applies to every other sacrifice that you're going to see required. Because they, even those sacrifices were just pointing to him. They were always pointing to him. And so his one sacrifice, that's why, that's why Paul talks about the fact that he died once for all. Mm -hmm. Not just for everybody, but for all of the sacrifices all the that were required. All the repentant. All right. Uh, verse 15. So you're going to ask something. Uh, I'll come back to it. 
And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Mm-hmm. Ye shall, you understand what just happened here. Shall count out from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheep. Okay, that would be the first day after the Sabbath. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So that would be seven, seven weeks. That's 49 days. Even the morrow mm-hmm. after the seventh Sabbath, you shall number 50 days. And on the 50th day, mm-hmm. you shall offer a new meat offering unto Okay. That's so what he's saying now, these right, so these feasts are, are listed in sequence. That's one of the things that they're listed in. Um and they're and they're listed somewhat in relation. So you see here again, Sabbath in verse fifteen and Sabbath in verse sixteen refer to Leviticus chapter um, twenty three verse three. They're referencing the weekly Sabbath. And he's saying that from the Feast of first fruit, you're going to count to get to the Passover. I mean, not the Passover, the Pentecost, Pentecost. which is the Feast of Week. You shall count. Yeah. Verse 17 You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deal. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offering, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Were these by household or by, well, it couldn't be by individual person. That would be yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, massive. It was, it was, it was typically it was typically by household, but sometimes they rolled up to be a family, mm-hmm. like a broader family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generation. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Okay. So in the midst of their prosperity, what God is saying here, and we talk about this repeatedly in, in um, we've spoken about it repeatedly on this podcast, is that God wasn't forcing people to take care of other people. He didn't join it as a responsibility but he did it in such a way that it wasn't strictly handout. So here you have one family, one, one group that's blessed, and they have fields and they have all of this harvest, 
and they need to make one pass through their harvest. And what they get, they get. And what's left, the poor among them get to make their own pass through the harvest. But notice, the poor don't get to go first. Right? Mm-hmm. And they have to work. They don't just get to say, hey, you have to take care of me, and then the guy with the harvest has to now provide for them. Both groups get some sort of an opportunity to provide for themselves. They have to work for it. We saw it in the story with Ruth. Right, right. right? Ruth was, was allowed to come and work. And, and, and how was Ruth blessed additionally? She was allowed to come and work while Amongst, they were doing the Yes, yes. And he said right. specifically, okay. whatever drops, so, don't pick it up. Right. So that, that's what they said. Uh, on these folks that are coming, if it drops, don't go back and get it. Let her be able to get it. But she had to work for hers too. Mm-hmm. Right? She had to work for hers too. So, so look at that system. God provided in a way that everybody had to labor and people didn't get to be stingy or lazy. Yeah, you just because a, just because a person didn't have land didn't mean they didn't have the means to provide for themselves. Right, and just because you did have land didn't mean that you were just here to give handouts to people without right. any kind of other consideration. So it was a it's a balanced system that the Lord offered so that everybody was grateful. Those who had couldn't get too stingy about it and hoarding. And those who didn't have couldn't just be resentful and whining. They each had an opportunity to work together and and remember the stewardship of God again. Mm-hmm. If only we could remember that. No, because we like to stay in the edges. We like to be either on the whining side or the, the stingy, greedy side, and sometimes both at the same time. Verse 26, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also. You got too far. Oh, yes, I skipped 23. Yeah, because. And, and Which is, is the same thing. <laughs> and the Lord spake unto it, Moses, it, saying, yeah, that's, it, how exactly. I, that's how I got lost. Speak unto the now, children of Israel, saying, Go ahead. The first group that we did, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first group, and Pentecost for the Feast of Weeks, those four all occur in the first few months, right? Really in the first month, and then 50-ish days afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I say ish, it is exactly 50, but it's exactly 50 after the first week, which required the first Sabbath after the Passover. Right. I say 50-ish, because it's an exact 50 after a floating date. Right. Okay. Um, so 50-ish days after all of those, all of that first batch of these happened. Now we enter the seventh month for the next set of these. So verse 23 again, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, 
There shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So the first day and the tenth day. Mm-hmm. Ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 29, For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be a Sabbath day of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even until even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. That's almost. Mm-hmm. Well, that jumps to the ninth day of the month, but previously it said the tenth day of the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. Yes, but in the ninth day, when the evening comes. Ah, uh, okay. From even that to even, even yes. Even. Right. Oh, we may have so to it stop. Is, it's you, oh, yeah. We, we, should, we should stop here. Um, we can leave off. It's interesting because even though we have just 11 verses, the piece of group is important, and we're going to cover some stuff when we do this again. Um, what I'll say here is this feast, the Day of Atonement, this understanding of this feast, which a whole chapter in Leviticus is dedicated to, Leviticus 16, understanding this will help you understand why Christ has not yet come back. Mm. Well, that is something to pay attention, um, especially as we see things are getting more and more intense. Now, there's you you can make the argument the only things only seem more intense because we have twenty four hour news now, and so we're getting bombarded by things. But I would say you're overlooking a lot if you if that's the way you're going to look at the world. There are some very, very interesting things happening, and it's not interesting in the terms we should be scared or worried. I mean, the Bible talks about these things. They're interesting things because they're guide markers. They're, they're there to alert us. Remember when we told you that this was coming, that Christ is coming soon? These are the markers to that. So this is not the time to... Either get afraid, nor is it the time to just ignore them as, well, we've been talking about Jesus coming for 50 years now, and he hasn't come. It is important for us to look at these things, study the Bible, and really put them, put it into action, you know, commit it to memory. Indeed. Amen. So, what are your final words? You don't have a title yet. Well, the... Yes, we do. Uh-huh. The, the, we can call it the Feast of the Lord, Part 1, or we can call it Why Hasn't Christ Returned Yet? All right, the Feast of the Lord, Part 1, colon, Why Hasn't Christ Returned Yet? <laughs> That's better, yep. <laughs> Let's see if that crashes any podcasts off. So, I'll close with prayer then. 
Lord, we often talk about hastening your soon coming uh, as if it's something that we can control. We do want you to come soon, but we also want as many people to be ready for you when you come. Um, We thank you for these different devotions you have left for us, these different lessons, and we pray that we learn them and share them with others. We pray for those who are listening to this, and they'll go back and study for themselves and see what it is you need them to see. We thank you. Amen. Amen. So, if you have any questions about this Leviticus 23 and these feasts and what they mean today, after all, it's the Old Testament, it doesn't matter. Well, it does, actually. Um, The Old Testament was pointing to Christ, and Christ not just coming, uh, being born and dying, but his ministry in heaven. Um, So, study. And if you have questions, email us, truewisdom at spaceage-llc.com. We also have Twitter, at truewisdom underscore pod. And we invite you to reach out to us. And also, if you need more information, you can check out Andrew's uh, podcast. Rightly divide the word of truth. It's at biblestudies.asbzone.com. And you'll find it's on all the same platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and much more. All right. We thank you for listening. um, And we pray you will be blessed.